It's Friday, March 27th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. As the search for an effective COVID-19 treatment continues, doctors are looking to an old method of delivering antibodies into an infected person by using blood plasma from recovered patients. While a vaccine could still be a year away, the FDA has expedited the use of this blood plasma infusion in New York to see if it is an effective short-term treatment. Mike Hixenbaugh, national investigative reporter for NBC News, joins us for how doctors are exploring all options. Next, something a little lighter while we practice social distancing. How has coronavirus impacted those looking for love and dating? Dating apps have seen big increases in people still looking to connect with others, and singles are doing the best they can with video dates. All that's lacking is the physical chemistry. There's even an app called Quarantine Together. Georgia Wells, reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for how dating works in the time of coronavirus. Finally, looking to hang out with your friends virtually? What if you wanted to host a movie night or just watch your favorite shows with friends? Ashley Carmen, senior reporter at The Verge, joins us for a look at web browser extensions that you could use to sync up your Netflix stream and video chat at the same time. We'll also talk about Zoom, who is having a moment right now in connecting people. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. If you've been exposed to coronavirus and you're better, you don't have the virus in your blood, we could collect the blood. Now, this is a possible treatment. This is not a proven treatment. Just want to emphasize that. Collect the blood, concentrate that, and have the ability, once it's pathogen-free, that is virus-free, be able to give that to other patients. And the immunoglobulins, the immune response, could potentially provide a benefit to patients. Joining us now is Mike Hixenbaugh, national investigative reporter at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Thanks for having me. So we're trying to figure out what is the most effective treatment for COVID-19. I know there's a lot of clinical trials going on. Vaccine is still a year or more away. There's a lot of antivirals that are being tried out. But one of the things that the FDA just approved to work on and to test out again is giving people blood from recovered patients, blood plasma. And this is like an old, very old technique that was used a long time ago. And once uh, vaccines and, and antibiotics came into the scene, this kind of fell by the wayside. But they're thinking in this moment that we need effective treatments right away, that using this blood plasma from recovered patients could be a way to help out in the very short term. Mike, tell us a little bit about that. As you mentioned, this virus is new and we don't have vaccines or antivirals to treat it. And so because those things take months, if not years of effort to produce, beginning in January or so, some doctors at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore started talking about the possible need for going old school with this treatment that honestly was was used somewhat widely during the flu epidemic of 1918. And the idea is pretty straightforward. I think most people can grasp it. When you are sick with a virus, your body creates antibodies needed to fight and kill the virus. And so those antibodies stay in your blood for months or years afterward. And so the idea of taking a survivor's blood and pumping it into somebody who's sick made sense. But as vaccines came online in the 1950s and 60s, this, this treatment just disappeared from widespread use. And in part because it was dangerous. You know, you can hurt people when you give them blood transfusions, if you give them the wrong kind, or if you transfuse them with bacteria-infected blood. 
So it's kind of seen as a kind of archaic treatment. So when this virus started spreading in China and globally, doctors at Johns Hopkins started proposing ways to revive this treatment because they knew that it's something that we could do quickly and it's a stopgap. It's not a panacea, but it's something that doctors maybe can use in the next couple of months to, one, treat the people who are critically ill, get people out of hospital sooner, keep people out of ICUs, and potentially give to frontline healthcare workers as a way of keeping them from getting sick. China has some history with this. In 2002, with the SARS outbreak, they used some of this convalescent plasma to varying degrees of effectiveness. I guess it worked in some, it didn't work in everybody, but I think it's still overall it helped. And, and that's why doctors are looking to do it right now. Part of the problems are is that they have to identify those people that have recovered and then they have to do a bunch of tests. Are there enough antibodies in that plasma that could be passed on to another person? So New York right now is pursuing clinical trials of this. I know they had a huge outbreak in New Rochelle out there. So they're looking to a lot of those people who have since recovered to possibly be donors in all of this. The effort will be a massive effort locally and across the country to pull this off. It will require getting the word out to people who've had the virus and recovered that they can donate. And it will be a lot of coordination between the blood banks. Right now, what's happening in New York is the FDA has said, this is not proven to be effective for coronavirus. There's some evidence that it, maybe it will be. And so you can start using it in emergency situations. And so once they're able to start collecting plasma, which I think is happening, if not today, very soon in New York at Mount Sinai Hospital, they will identify patients who probably will die if they do not have something happen uh, for them. And so then they'll, the FDA on a case-by-case -case basis will allow doctors to treat those patients with this plasma. And separate from that, there's this growing national movement at major academic hospitals across the country to try to set this up everywhere and to begin setting up research protocols to use it, not just in people who are near death, but to give it to people when they first show symptoms and to give it to doctors and medical staff to keep them yeah. healthy. And while a vaccine, as we mentioned, a year or more away, some of these other antiviral drugs that need to be studied for side effects and all, still many months away, possibly. Some of the doctors at Johns Hopkins think that they could get some of this blood plasma stuff ready in a matter of weeks, possibly. So obviously, we're just trying to figure out what we can do until we eventually get this vaccine. But they're hoping that they can get this off the ground pretty quickly. Mike, I wanted to ask you, you're based in Houston right now. How has the response been there locally? Because obviously New York is our epicenter right now. We're getting word that New Orleans might be popping up with a lot more cases soon. Los Angeles and California in general is, is another hotspot. How has Houston been reacting to all this? Houston, the fourth biggest city in the country, in the second biggest state in the nation. We're on lockdown. We have a stay-at-home order like a lot of other places. We have not seen a huge number of confirmed cases in Houston or Texas. And part of the reason for that, some people fear, is that we have just not had a high volume of testing in Texas. As a lot of people know, New Orleans and Houston have a close relationship ever since Katrina when many people fled that city for Houston and put in roots here. There's a close relationship and a lot of travel back and forth between these cities. So there's this fear that this is spreading quietly throughout the city right now, and we're just not seeing it. I've heard reports from local physicians that ICUs are starting to get crowded, even though we haven't seen huge numbers of confirmed cases. And so yeah, people are on edge. Some people are 
not paying attention to the stay-at-home order. Other people are. But I think until we see the confirmed cases, some people are going to continue to think, you know, this isn't affecting Texas. And we just don't know. Mike Hixenbaugh, national investigative reporter at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. normal people are looking for humor but it's sort of gallows humor now given the grimness of all of our situations and so one of my favorite messages that my friend received was this guy messaged her want to meet up next week my coronavirus is practically gone joining us now is georgia wells reporter at the wall street journal thanks for joining us georgia hey thank you for having me there's a lot of different angles going on during this coronavirus pandemic Obviously, everybody wants to stay healthy and we need to mitigate the spread of the virus. We're practicing extreme social distancing in some states and cities where there's been lockdowns of bars and restaurants. But we wanted to take a step back and talk about something that we all have to deal with anyways, or a lot of us have to deal with, singles that are still looking for love and having to do it and having to navigate it during this time where you can't go out, you can't go do anything. Georgia, tell us a little bit about this, how complicated coronavirus is making dating right now. (laughs) Yeah, so a lot of singles who I've talked to have found that meeting people is not so disrupted. For people who are using dating apps, they can still log on. In fact, the apps have seen a surge of use. But the complication sets in once they've matched with someone and they want to connect with them. And so they can video chat them, they can do calls. But for most Americans right now, in-person meetings are sort of off the table. I'm still willing to bet that there's a number of people that are actually going through with some of these meetings, though. I think you had it in the article, and it was a perfect line. Human nature dictates that the longer people are isolated, the more they crave companionship. Yeah, people are lonely now more so than almost ever. So I know sometimes that there probably is a couple people that are meeting and they go, okay, let's still meet, (laughs) have have some type of in-person meeting. Um, So for sure, some people are meeting. But also some people are trying to do safe meetups where they stay like five or six feet apart. But then there's some anxiety about like, well, sometimes in the course of a conversation, people will drift closer than they meant to. Right. Exactly. Um, So let's talk about some ways that people are still going through this. I know video chat is a huge thing. There was a time this past summer where my wife was working in another state for her job. She was gone for a couple months. And what we would do a lot of times was to try to watch our shows together. So we'd call each other on FaceTime so we can look at each other. And then we count three, two, one. And we both push play at the same time just so we can be on the same page with it. So I know a lot of people are kind of getting into that rhythm, too. For sure. Some of the people I talked to had watched Netflix shows together. I haven't actually tried this myself, but apparently there's a plug in on like a browser extension that will play movies simultaneously for people. And so that's definitely like one obvious option. And also FaceTimes, like that's an obvious option. And also there's an app called Say Hello, and they have a video feature within the dating product. And they said that they've seen a 350% increase in the use of that feature within the app since this like social isolation began. So tell us a little bit more about the dating app specifically. As you mentioned a bit ago, they're seeing increases. So people are still trying to meet up. People are still trying to connect and talk. And what are they doing to help facilitate it at least? So across the board, dating apps are seeing an increase of usage. There's an app called S'more, which is short for something more. And they actually ended up rolling out new cities kind of ahead of the timeline that they had set because there was kind of such demand right now. 
and also Tinder, one of the most popular dating apps, particularly among young people. They've made some of the paid features free for now because they're seeing such demand. And then also Plenty of Fish has added a live streaming feature. And then there's also this brand new app called Quarantine Together. Yes, that was a group of friends who were just trying to think of like what would be the ideal product for people who are you know quarantining right now. So they came up with this app, Quarantine Together, where at 6 p.m. it asks if you've washed your hands via text message. And if you reply yes, then it will pair you with someone using a text pairing similar to Lyft and Uber, where you can text the driver but not know the actual phone number. Like there's some privacy still. And then if the texting goes well, then they share you a video link. One of the funny things that you put in your story is, I guess, some different screenshots of text messages and things like that. Tell us how people are flirting in the time of coronavirus. As normal, people are looking for humor, but it's sort of gallows humor now, given the grimness of all of our situations. And so one of my favorite messages that my friend received was this guy messaged her, want to meet up next week? My coronavirus is practically gone, which... Her understanding is he doesn't actually have it. So right, she's right. like, oh. <laughs> or um, the, another popular one I've been seeing floating around is you can't spell quarantine without U-R-A-Q-T. <laughs> it's cute. <laughs> Before we started the interview, you know, we talked about, you know, you need a little bit of levity to kind of get through yes. some of this stuff. And yeah, they're corny jokes, but, you know, that's kind of what you have to play with sometimes. Assuming this all ends up okay, I feel like we're all going to look back on this as like, you know, whatever it took to, like you said, get through it all. Georgia Wells, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Senior, again, only works with Netflix, but there is a live chat function as well as the video. And... You have to use it through like your primary account on Netflix. So you can't use it through a secondary one. Joining us now is Ashley Carmen, senior reporter at The Verge. Thanks for joining us, Ashley. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're all practicing safe social distancing right now, self-quarantining, self-isolating in this time of coronavirus. We wanted to talk about, because we've been talking about how people are connecting uh, with each other through a lot of video chats, a lot of different things. Everybody's going through their Netflix and and other streaming options and watching their favorite shows and movies, things like that. But what if you wanted to connect with a friend, watch the same thing at the same time and try to kind of mimic as much as possible being in the same room with each other? There's a few apps and browser extensions that you can put on your computer to help you with that. Ashley, tell us a little bit about these. So I will preface this just to say, you know, unfortunately, none of the streaming apps have natively built this in. So we are kind of stuck with third party solutions, which aren't going to be perfect, but we're doing the best we can in this scenario. So one option is something called Netflix Party. And as the name suggests, it only works for Netflix and is also only available for Google Chrome. So there's that. And also, what you'll find with some of these services is that you're watching something together with friends, but you're not seeing each other. You're just having a live chat. So you can kind of be like, oh, that's funny or whatever you want to say in the chat versus seeing their face and their reaction. And in this case with Netflix party, it's only a live chat on the side of the screen versus that face-to-face interaction. But the cool thing is that it will sync up the viewing for both parties, right? Which is kind of important. At least you're kind of on the same page with everything. Obviously, that's crucial because if someone gets ahead or backs up, 
then you're kind of lost there. I've mentioned this story on the podcast before. My wife was out of town working on business and we'd try to watch some of our shows and we'd have to do like a countdown. So we both press play at the same time so we can match things up. So that's why I like the story because this kind of helps with that. So that's Netflix party. It's a little limited in that it only works for Netflix and has that kind of chat function. There's another one that's called MetaStream. This one works with a few more streamers. So this is a little bit of a better option, especially if you're not a Netflix person. So it has Hulu, YouTube, Twitch, and Crunchyroll. And Netflix opens in another window. So you could do Netflix as well. And the thing with this is that there is, again, just a live chat, so no video function. And when we tested this, The Verge did have some issues. We noted that there were some issues with like Hulu on Chrome and MetaStream recommends using Firefox instead. So this might be one of those situations where you kind of want to play around with it. But the bright side on this is that, of course, you can use different streaming services and you're not stuck with only Netflix. Another one that's on this list here is Scener. Now, this is one of the first ones that has the video chat function, which I think will be pretty fun for a lot of people. I think that's why we all want to do this is so that we can actually see our friends, right? So yeah, in this app, you'll actually see at the top of your screen, little bubbles, little circles with whoever's in the party with you. Scener, again, only works with Netflix. But there is a live chat function as well as the video. And you have to use it through like your primary account on Netflix. So you can't use it through a secondary one. But you can have 10 people total, which is cool and exciting. That's pretty good, especially for something like a movie or something. Everybody wants to get together to watch. That one's pretty good. And the last one that you guys had on your list was 2.7. Now, this one also has the video chat feature. It gives you a lot more options to use. And also right now during what's going on with all the social distancing, they have like a paid feature on their service that they're discounting for like $3 a month, which is pretty good. So what's exciting about 2.7 is that unlike the other ones we've already mentioned, you can watch Amazon Prime Video, HBO Now, Vimeo. And with the subscription fee, you'd get Hulu and Disney Plus as well. But yeah, with this, you get the video function and the live chat. And I think really what the selling point for this one is just, again, that wide variety of services. These are pretty cool. Just a few suggestions for people that might want to go on this route. But that's what we're doing. We're trying to connect in different ways right now that people are social distancing and kind of staying home alone. A lot of times we're trying to connect in any way we can. And these video chats are one of the top ways people are still seeing each other, connecting with each other. I wanted to ask you briefly just about Zoom. I know there's been a lot of write-ups about it. A lot of people are talking about it. I know schools and students use Zoom for classes right now, but it's kind of having this Mm -hmm. moment where everybody's kind of on this one. If you can just tell us a little bit about that. I've actually been using Zoom for years and, you know, it IPO'd months ago. So it's been around, but because of the situation at hand, truly, it seems like everybody is using Zoom to have conference calls for work, so to host meetings, to even talk to therapists who are using it for mental health reasons. It has a HIPAA compliant version, so they're hosting therapy sessions, and friends and family are also using it to connect. So really, Zoom is having this moment of, I guess, attention, for better or worse, for us, I guess. Ashley Carmen, senior reporter at The Verge, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.